Tonight, Generational Change. I'm Jen. I'm Peter. And where were we just now, Jen? We were at Sheila Scherfler's McCormick's uh, re-election launch somebody uh, that soiree. Our, somebody that our guest, I think, would love to be serving with. Uh, yes, and that was fun. And we also got to schmoozy schmooze with the, with the good people of the district. What is it now? What is their district now? Their district 20... We're all on a mess because we're going to be 25. But, but 24 is going to be below us because that makes sense. <laughs> we're all a mess now. But whatever district is now that district, Sheila's district, that's the district we were schmoozing in. Yes. So as you guys know, we uh, we have our favorites. We that's do. Have our fa- we do. We have our favorites. And so one of our favorites is somebody who happens to be running for Congress in Jen's favorite state, which is, of course, North Carolina. Which is, of course, not here. And district number one is... And district that this lovely lady knows very well. Talk about easy to promote. Yeah. District one. Yeah. One. And see what? Like, we're, we, uh, we, we're like one, two, we're 25. Yeah, 25. We're now 25. Guys, smash that like button, get it out there. She is a former three time state senator from the great state of North Kakalaki. Purse. And she is now looking to become the next congressional yeah, representative. Never running for statewide office. No, no. But, you know, we'll I, if counties. I lived in Rhode Island, or Delaware, like there are certain places that I would run for statewide office. Florida is not one of them. It would be a very small state. Even in North Carolina, 100 counties is hard to do. Maybe I, four or five is a there. little bit harder to do. So with that said, welcome back, Erica Smith, to Generational Change. Um, hey, Peter. Hey, Jen. So glad to be Hi. back with the Generational Change family. Hi. You were always one of our like earlier people on. And at the time, you were running for Senate. And yes. um, which, yeah. And, you know, I don't know that we've even talked about that since, like, you know, obviously to me, the idea of running a statewide race is just out of the question. So I fully understand, like, I appreciate that. Um, But how do you feel in terms of now that you've sort of downsized to a small area that I would think it would be a little bit easier for you? Well, um, going from 100 counties to 19 counties is certainly easier, but I was in the U.S. Senate race until the Republicans released our gerrymandered maps. Once the gerrymandered maps were released, my congressman, G.K. Butterfield, announced that he was retiring, and I knew since he was stepping down, someone needed to step up, and it couldn't be just anyone. It needed to be somebody who with the, who had a demonstrated record of fighting for the district, who understood what rural um, working families were going through, and so I'm running on a bold platform called a rural new deal and really excited about representing these 19 counties i represented 11 of the 19 as a state senator okay so that that should help to some extent i mean you're i always think like you're kind of you're starting more like on second base just by name recognition in in those areas so um i would think that that would be fairly well received by people that you've been serving for so long Absolutely, Jen. It makes it easy because I, um, no other candidate has served as many counties as I've served in this district. And so this district has elected me time and time again. I have beaten every Republican in a general election in this district. I've never lost to a Republican and I won't start now. And so I have the best shot of making sure that we can keep our narrow majority in the U.S. House of Representatives. Um, The name recognition is high, but also the record of service. I've spent the last 20 years organizing this part of North Carolina. In fact, I organized it in 2016 to elect our um, Democratic governor, Roy Cooper. And this was the only non-urban district that he won was my Senate district. And that was because the strength of our organizing and making sure we were building a broad coalition of working class folks all across the district. So you're saying that you've actually used your platform to benefit others. 
Absolutely. That's what, this is, what strong, this is good Democrats point. should do. <laughs> well, yeah, and support the idea of possible challenges when the time is right and not shut out people that are trying to bring something new. And I, I appreciate that, um, that you were able to do that because that to me is one of the key points of being a representative is using your platform for other things and other people and to rally the people that know you and trust you because they might come out for you, but they wouldn't necessarily come out and vote for someone they don't know. Absolutely. I agree. I agree with that. And now the stakes are so high in in this district because not only am I the only uh, Democrat in this race who has represented the majority of this district, but I am the only pro-choice Democrat in this race, which is uh, atrocious when you think about the U.S. Supreme Court and over the pending overturning of Roe v. Wade. And we have to elect Democrats who are going to vote like Democrats and not going to block the agenda of Democrats when they get to Washington, D.C. Yeah. I mean, we were just talking today that something that's very infuriating to me is watching somebody like Nancy Pelosi act like she's fighting for women's reproductive freedom while she's simultaneously down campaigning for Henry Cuellar, who is an anti-choice Democrat in San Antonio. You can't have it both ways. You can't be campaigning for anti-choice Democrats and say you're in our fight with us. You also have and Henry Cuellar is the last anti-choice Democrat in Congress. We certainly don't need to elect another one. So we really need to pull in the ranks and support Jessica Cisneros. She has to win this race. I yeah. have to win in NCO1. This is for reproductive freedom. This is for our nation. This is for health care. The very people who are going to be hurt the most are those people who deliver the White House, deliver both chambers of Congress. And no longer can we decide that we're going to have inaction. Inaction is no longer an option. We have to be clear on who we are as Democrats, and we have to fight for those who are going to vote like Democrats on our issue. We're speaking with Erica D. Smith, who's running for U.S. Congress in North Carolina's first congressional district. Um, One of the things that came out recently, you and uh, Senate candidate uh, John Fetterman of Pennsylvania are considered two of the front runners uh, to potentially flip uh, or in this case, uh, win uh, a non-corporate win as a non-corporate candidate outright. Uh, but the, the topic uh, that has become uh, very uh, passionately uh, discussed in many circles is this idea of being considered a progressive versus a populist. And we have said time and time again that being a populist holds a lot more weight because the word progressive can be co-opted as it has been by many people. When you're a populist, you really get to the heart of the issues that are of most importance. So if you could talk about the importance of distinguishing yourself on that front, as well as what the rural New Deal looks like and how you plan to fight and implement that as a congresswoman would be great. I have always been a candidate with a strong platform for economic populism. The 11 counties of the 19 in the first congressional district that I represented became less economically distressed. We have our 100 counties divided in tier one, tier two, tier three. I represented 11 different counties. All of them were tier one, but they came became less economically distressed because as an engineer, I knew the importance of re-engineering those broken policies for economic development, re-engineering the policies in Raleigh to make them work just as well in a rural center as they do in the urban center. And so like um, John Fetterman, I stand with farmers in the right to repair. Uh, Like John Fetterman, I'm standing against corporate monopolies. 
these corporate monopolies have come in and they've hollowed out Main Street. And we deserve more than a um, dollar store economy and a GoFundMe healthcare system. So my rural New Deal is about um, his historic investments in Eastern North Carolina in the first congressional district. It talks about universal broadband, making sure that we have the digital connectivity. This is a digital desert. There are so many students who were disenfranchised from their online learning um, during the pandemic because there was just no connectivity. Um, it will help us grow our small businesses as well, raise the minimum wage, create good paying jobs, a rural new deal that prioritizes clean energy jobs, building the energy system of the future, making sure that we have wind and solar and green jobs throughout Eastern North Carolina. That is a way to build the 21st century workforce um, and create strong union jobs. That's what we need. It's universal health care. Um, I am the lead in fighting for Medicaid expansion, whereas my Democratic opponent on the other side was the last Democrat to get on board. If we have to conjole and pressure Democrats to get on board with universal health care, then those are not true Democrats that we need. And so I am fighting for Medicare for all. I think that is the way to go um, to make sure that we can make sure everybody has that basic human right. And of course, I'm fighting for reproductive freedom. And all of that is a part of our rural New Deal that we're going to deliver to create true structural change for the working families in this district. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people realize, especially when you come from like the coastal city urban places that we do, um, people that live in rural places have been suffering in terms of reproductive freedom for years because because even though something might be legal, if it's not available and affordable, then you might as well not have it. And a lot of rural places, you have to drive, I don't even know, like how in Texas, it was horrible. It was like hours to even get to the place that could do it. And so rural people are often hurt the most by these kinds of policies. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head, Jen, because of the lack of access and our rural hospitals have been closing down because we didn't expand Medicaid. I was reading a story about a nurse um, today and she was in school working hard. She was working um, her way through school, yet she didn't even have health care and she's being trained to provide health care to other people. And she represents one of the 200,000 of the 500,000 adults in North Carolina who do not have health care. They fall into that gap where they make too much money for Medicaid and not enough money um, to be able to afford private insurance. And so that is why it's so important that we send someone who's had to navigate a broken health care system, who understands what's at stake, who's going to fight for working families, going to fight for health care, going to fight for good paying jobs, going to fight for the infrastructure that we need for businesses to be able to set up shop in eastern North Carolina to promote small businesses. Yeah. And, and the other big issue we're always talking about here is labor. And <clears throat> that's one of those things that unifies all around the country, rural or urban, is, is labor. And I, and I guess to some extent, like I sort of see that that kind of is overlapping with, with farming to some extent. I mean, you've, you're talking about working people that are working in an industry that doesn't get enough value and respect and is easily abused. Um, but how do you see, like what's going on with the labor uprising right now, like where you are? Absolutely. We know that 
workers need good paying jobs. I have um, worked toward legislation that will provide um, six professions or short-term workforce training. And being able to do that to supply the workforce for some of these jobs that we don't even have majors for. And we're looking at the um, career and technology education that's needed for our students. That's why I was a firm champion of our cooperative and innovative high schools in North Carolina that allow students to graduate with a high school diploma in one hand and an associate's degree in the other so that they can be halfway through college or they can have a certification or a trade and they can go immediately to work and get a good paying job. That's why I fought the Republicans in North Carolina against a wind moratorium. And now we have the Amazon wind farm off of the coal coast off of Pasquotank County, and that has provided hundreds of thousands of dollars of revenue to these struggling tier one high poverty um, counties. And so bringing in good paying jobs, those clean energy jobs pay good. There, there was one student who graduated from a solar um, technician certification program. She was able to quit her three part-time jobs and, more, and earn more money at $19 an hour so that she could spend more time raising her three children. What a beautiful story is that? And so those are the things that we have to take on these corporate monopolies like these, like big tech. And we look at how Amazon is strangling out these small mom and pops and we need to create an evil playing field. That's why I'm so happy to earn the endorsement of Senator Elizabeth Warren um, for that economic populism and taking on these monopolies and making sure that we have the, um, we put, we put, anti-competitive policies in place so small businesses can compete in rural North Carolina. Yeah, I think that that's key. Yeah, and you bring up a great point. Uh, Senator Warren obviously is very, um, very much at uh, at the heart of uh, the fight against big tech, which is very important. And yes, we have seen Absolutely. Uh, all of the problems that exist uh, regarding uh you know, what messages get out there. Our YouTube channel is horrifically suppressed because of big tech, but you know, I digress. Uh, I think you can say that this race is obviously very important. North Carolina is a true purple state. Um, it can really go either way, uh, depending on the election cycle. Uh, can we, you get rid of Madison Cawthorn once you're in there? Cause there's something you can do about that. Cause that freak's gotta go. Well, she's on the other side. I know, I know. Yes. You know what? He won't be able to tolerate me. And he so he'll say, I'd rather go back home. <laughs> Oh, I'll, I'll travel. I'll try to travel with him a couple of times up to D.C. And by the time I finish converting him um, <sighs> and removing his insanity, maybe then he will just decide that he will go home and retire. Because you've seen Asheville. You've been to Asheville. He is not representative of that part of anything. He like, is I not. Don't understand it. And you know what's worse? He endorsed my likely Republican opponent who was at the January 6th insurrection. And so he endorsed the Republican in this race um, who is anti-government, who is an insurrectionist, and she gets endorsed by Madison Cawthorn. So a lot is at stake, not only on the Democratic side as I being the only pro-choice Democrat in the race, but we certainly cannot afford to sit, to elect a Democrat in the primary that cannot win in November. And I'm the only candidate in this race who has beaten every Republican and polling higher than the Republicans in this race. Um, yes. Definitely so much is at stake. And we need to make sure that America knows that. We need to keep our majority in the U.S. House, but we also need to make sure that we're sending strong Democrats who are going to vote on our agenda. 
Yeah. yeah, you've definitely had some really great endorsements, obviously, Brandon Congress and a uh, plethora of other. Uh, yes, and know. the Congressional Progressive Caucus and yeah. Working Families, Democracy for America, Planned Parenthood, NARAL, so many, the collective, Higher Heights for Women. Just so excited. I mean, we, we, we have the most endorsements in this race and we're really excited about it. And so the first African-American to be elected to Congress from North Carolina after Reconstruction, Congresswoman Eva Clayton, is voting for me. Because wow. you know, she has created her support of me because I am stronger on the issues. And that's critical. We haven't had someone to represent rural North Carolina like Congresswoman Eva Clayton has. And so I'm very honored to earn her vote. And I am looking forward to making sure that we can deliver for working families all over North Carolina, all over this nation, with me being elected to Congress. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not normally in favor of Democrats using the choice issue. But in your case, the fact that other Democrats who are not who are anti-choice, which shouldn't even be a thing like that. Should, the reason I'm opposed to it is it shouldn't even be a discussion that we're having because you're a Democrat. You should automatically be supporting reproductive freedom. And the fact that this timing of what's going on right now with the Supreme Court, I hope you use that to every bit of your advantage to stifle those Democrats because shame on them. Shame on them. Like, I, it's disgusting. But this is also emblematic of the fact that this party has moved so far to the right politically over the past two generations. Since Reagan took over in 80, there was a conscious effort within the party apparatus to move, they say to the center, but truly it was to the right and with corporate power. And as a result, you end up getting in bed with a lot of these corporate representatives, but also a lot of corporate representatives who were once part of the Republican Party and being anti-choice. we got to stop saying pro-life. Yeah, well, I don't say not, that. It's anti-choice. It's anti-choice. It's anti-choice. Yeah. So when you're an anti-choice Democrat, what you are is an anti-choice Republican who is now in the Democratic Party. And this has been a problem for over 30, 35 years. And now it's really coming home to roost. And they're kind of, you know, they don't really know where to go with this. And the fact that you're running and being very clear that I am non-corporate and I am for the issues that matter most to Democratic voters, I think makes it clear as day. And as far as I know, uh, early voting has already begun, correct? Yes. Yes. Early voting has started. It started April the 28th. Early voting ends this Saturday, May the 14th. And then the election day is on Tuesday, May 17th. And I cannot... Uh, stress how important it is. We, we have this large um, Republican supporting pack called APAC. And APAC is targeting Black <sighs> women who represent the working class, who want to deliver true structural change and has carried the burden of this party. And it is unacceptable what they're doing in my race and uh, Nita Alam's race in um, Congressional District 4 in North Carolina, but also Summer Lee in Pennsylvania. And yeah. we do know that we, we have a fight on our hands and we're going to keep fighting. And so they want um, centrist Democrats because they want Republicans, just like you said, Peter. And they have been recruiting these corporate Dems who are going to prioritize special interests and corporations over working class folks. So, so much is at stake. And that is why I am in this fight. That's why we are beating the bushes. We made over 25,000 calls in the past couple of days to voters in this district to impress upon them the importance of getting out to vote. So early voting ends on Saturday and we're stressing it. Tell all your friends and family in North Carolina, you love you love North Carolina. That's your second home, Jen. So I hope you'll make sure you use your platform to tell people to go out, go out and vote. 
That's always. Like, that's an imperative. We have to do oh, Always. Listen, I after what we just went through in Cleveland, I mean, you know, for Nina, it's like, yeah, they're going to, this is what they do. There is a, and a gen, look, I, I get so irate about this. This is so personal. To well, me. because what they also don't <laughs> understand, Erica, and this is something that, again, from a political standpoint, people need to understand that there are many, if not most circumstances where anti-Semitism is all about hate, but there are also circumstances where we can see how people become anti-Semitic. Because when you act this way, when you deliberately keep working class people down for the, for, for the sake of your power you know, structure that these people are fighting for within APAC and other organizations, it's not hard to see why. It is absolutely wrong. It is bad for democracy. And they have unlimited money. They will put as much money behind this as they have to. Uh, you're kind of flying under the radar. Thank God they made it their life's mission to stop Nina twice. Yeah. So hopefully this isn't an end-all, be-all type circumstance uh, regarding how much money APAC is It was APAC and the Democratic Pact for Israel, whatever that other group yeah. is. As a Jewish person, they're, I, find they're, they're the same. I find it repugnant. Okay. I can't stand that. I can't stand those groups. I can't stand what they do. I am so sick of people conflating Zionism with Judaism. I am so sick and tired of them playing the anti-Semitic card when people speak for Palestinian rights, because there is true anti-Semitism. It's on the rise. It's a huge problem. And it's going to be underplayed because they keep playing it when it isn't an issue. And I am so sick of them calling out people and specifically people that are for justice for all and calling them anti-Semites. It's as a Jewish person, I find it incredibly offensive. I'm just yeah. saying. So if you guys can, please, 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 Erica for us.com get over there, sign up to phone bank. It's Erica text for bank. us. Uh, well, Erica for us. Uh, uh. All right. Well, ericaforus.com. It's tomato, tomato. Thank you very much. Thank you very I much. I caught it. Yeah, he does that sometimes with it when it's all together. He does it. I'm like, it's Erica for us. I'm not dyslexic, just so you know. I say that I didn't agree with you. You're special. Yes, I'm special. <laughs> but ericaforus.com, because you do need phone bankers and text bankers. And if you happen to be in the Tri-City area, whether you are in Raleigh, whether you are in Durham, uh, wait, no, uh, wait, it's Raleigh, it's Durham, and Charlotte? Is Chapel that? Hill. Chapel Hill, okay. So if the you- tri the, the triad, the triangle. Yes. So if you guys are in central, it's basically central North Carolina, uh, if you can get out to Canvas. Seriously. Because people. that really does make a difference. And as, what, what else do you need, Erica? Please let everybody know well, what we need people to volunteer for our phone banks, volunteer to canvas with us. And we're 19 counties just north of Raleigh and Durham, Wake County and Durham County. And so we stretch from Vance County all the way over to Pasquotank, down through Pitt and Green, Wilson, Nash, Edgecombe, all of these counties. Um, beautiful place uh, to call a home in North Carolina. So they can text JOIN to 51550, text JOIN to 51550, and that will um, tell you how you can become a part of our movement and help us out with our GOTV efforts. And then for those who can't be here physically but would rather send money, that's what we need. Please oh, send yeah. some money so that we can counter these negative attack ads from APAC. And um, please go to our website, ericaforus.com, one of us for all of us, one of us who will fight for us. Thank you so yeah. much for having me. Oh, no, I love talking to you. You're one of my favorites. And, <laughs> and by the way, when you are elected, I am definitely going to head east and I'm yes. going to cross. I've never been east of Charlotte, so I'm, I'm going to head east and I'm going to come visit because I feel like it's very motivating. Plus, I've heard it's beautiful there. So um, 
Yeah, it is beautiful, and we're planting an extra large garden so you can help me pick cucumbers and string beans Ooh. and butter beans Ooh. and squash. So. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to have you. It sounds good. Thank you so much, Erica, Erica. Smith. You are wonderful. Hopefully, Thanks, we are Erica. speaking to a future congresswoman very, very I'm soon. I'm feeling it. Guys, I'm feeling it. I feel it. Let's do this. Let's persist. Let's fight. Let's win. Yeah, God would have a wonderful evening, Erica. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. You too. Bye bye. So as you know, Jen has her line. She's lovely. Yes, and she, she really, she is. really is lovely. Yeah, there um, are there are certain people that truly stand out, and she is one. <clears> so. Yeah. See now, she wins the primary, then I would totally see going helping maybe over the summer doing um, for the general. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think it's a safe district, if I'm not mistaken. I, I got to, I mean, again, but you know what? You look it up now and you don't know if the district lines are updated, so you don't know for sure no, no, if, no. if what we're dealing with. What is I know is, is Erica is a hard worker. Hell that yes. is somebody with an impeccable work ethic. Like yeah. she is just on it. Like this is not somebody who's in it as a vanity project. This is somebody who is in it because she actually really cares. And she comes from rural North Carolina. And that's a, I think that's really nice because we have so many people that are like, you know, much more urban city people, yeah. you know, no, and no. I like that she really represents not just rural, but back in rural. And, and I just think that's a really important demographic. I don't think that we talk about it a lot. You know, most of our districts that we key, talk about yeah. are not. And it's also a key message right now regarding what's going on with Roe v. Wade, because as you have said, you know, the other thing about pulling Roe v. Wade is who is this going to affect the most? You know, let's be honest. Who is? Yeah, well, hold that in there. Hold on. Go back and see what Guy is saying. Something about. Uh, one second. Guy, they're anti-choice because they're anti-choice. I'm never going to use anti-abortion because that implies that there's people that are pro-abortion and there aren't. And well, there might be, but they're freaky weird. Uh, most of us are not pro-abortion. We're not. Nobody's pro Nobody's out there saying, yes, let's everybody get abortions. That's not a thing. So when you call people anti-abortion, that presupposes that there's people that are for abortion, which there aren't. So it is choice. It is all about choice. And if people don't like being labeled as anti-choice, then they ought not be. <laughs> that is, I, this is to me, I, I am not debating this issue with anybody. And quite honestly, nobody should have to, because believe it or not, I think we're up to like 70 something percent of this country is opposed to overturning Roe versus Wade. It's the majority opinion. Yeah. What are you doing? By we way? have double, we have double stream. How do we do that? Well, we're going <clears> to, <throat> don't you, 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 you <laughs> don't even have enough to drink, <laughs> smoke, something. So it is anti-choice. It is most certainly not pro-life. Mike's good. Okay. So we don't have to look, but we just need to enter. So we need I don't to know how this is going to go, guys. This is going to be weird. No, it's going to be interesting. But I'm a little scared. Osiris, are you ready for this? We've never done it. This is big. Yes. Yeah, so, okay, he's on it, but we're yeah. challenged. So he could be great on his Yeah, one. well, we'll see. It shames them. Well, if you're not for choice, you should be shamed because well, you're not for democracy. Here's the thing. I don't care if you're pro-life, but there's a difference between being pro-life because that's what you are personally. Being anti-choice is you not thinking or you believing that people don't have a right to choose. Yeah, let me be very clear. I went to a Catholic law school, worked in a Catholic hospital. I have a lot of Catholic friends. I have pro-life friends. I do. I do. But what's interesting is that my pro-life friends do not support the government legislating the issue. So I don't have a problem with people being pro-life. That's your choice. That's the whole point of choice. Right. That's your choice. Um, but yeah, I, I have not yet met a pro-abortion person. If I do, I'll let you know. I think it's weird. Um, that's not typical. 
So to me, it's just choice. Well, I would say, yeah. Yes. This is correct, Chris. And by the way, Roe versus Wade, for people who don't know, is a very moderate opinion. Very moderate. There is nothing radical. There's nothing left. Roe v. Wade is completely moderate. It is also very tenuous and easy to overturn, which is why it will likely happen. Um, Well, you've been saying for the longest time that Roe v. Wade was basically designed in a way to make sure that it basically could potentially be overturned and it became a fundraising machine for the Democratic I think Party. that's part of it, but it was just the reality is, is that the penumbra of privacy that, that is granted to us in that decision and that came from, I want to say, the Griswold decision prior to that yeah. is the original decision that we have, the penumbra of privacy. That is definitely an extrapolation of the Constitution that is not exact. So if you were going to, for the Supreme Court to be able to issue that decision, they're kind of pulling it out of their ass. They are. And and I, again, I agree with the decision, but it's weak in terms of its legal standing. Anybody, is, I guess, who is an attorney would understand <laughs> that it was a, it was a weak case, yeah. and, and that could ultimately lead to this. But again, they had so many opportunities to codify it, and they never did. Yeah, which again would now be under attack as well. Sure, but I would have appreciated the effort. And you don't get to have four administrations that you had a majority in, not do anything about it, sit there and bitch, say you don't know what happened, and then be down campaigning for an anti-choice candidate in San Antonio. And how is everybody for every and all the corporate? And this is something we'll talk about with Osiris, which I think is very important because, and I think it's a great place to start about how uh, all corporate, uh, all the corporate uh, media establishment wants to talk about is how. Uh, there were people who didn't vote for Hillary in 2016. Uh, you do understand that Obama had an entire year to fill a vacant Supreme Court seat and Schumer never fought for it. You could claim all nothing. you want. They did nothing. They exactly. never attempted to do anything. While simultaneously, those same people then, when Trump came in, rubber stamped every single one of his judges. You do not get, it's like, and then I just saw the clip of Nancy Pelosi where she's being asked, well, how did we get here? And Nancy Pelosi literally said, I don't know. Well, shit, man, Nancy, if you don't know who does, you've been sitting there the whole time. I can't with these people. Well, let's get into it. <laughs> We're going to do a cross stream. He is a friend of the show. He is also a fellow content creator, but one that is very much a, a content creator who bases a lot of his uh, opinions on reasons. I know. It's fascinating. Yeah, I It's know. fascinating. Reason is a fascinating he thing. He uses reason to make decisions. Hmm. Yeah, imagine that. Go figure that that was actually the case. So we are going to enter his studio. I don't know how this happens. And we are now going to enter... Osiris from the Stuck in the Middle podcast. Well, Welcome back to about Generation. to jump in. Yeah, here we go. What? What is good? What's up? How y'all doing? Peter, good Jim. Morning. Great to see you. Are we seeing? Okay, do you see what's happening now? Oh, now right, the so echo. Let's... Yeah, I know. Let's see if we can do something. Yeah. Oh. No, you can't. I'm going to try. We might. Then he won't hear us. All right, so we're going to... This is what I was worried about. Yeah, we're trying. It's all good. I can, um, we can stay on your stream. The feedback loop. Yeah. See, StreamYard should have, StreamYard should have a way to do this. Yeah, I think I I know that we're getting feedback. Is that me? It might be me. Hold on. Now we're good. Um, now, now we're good, we're because, good. We had a, because we had a pull from the other one, but I don't know why it doesn't. I know that there's a way to do this because we did it once before with, with oh, Bosch. Really? 
So there was a way. No, that it was no, done. no, no, no. We did not do that with Vosh. What we did with Vosh oh. is, first of all, he doesn't use Streamyard. He was oh, streaming man. on whatever he was streaming, and he had his thing going, mm-hmm. and then he came on our show while he was simultaneously streaming. This is what I've been telling so you. So wasn't there any audio feedback though? That's because he wasn't through Streamyard, and also he probably knew oh. what he was doing, and we don't. So I'm gonna I'm gonna close this one, guys, because it it didn't work out. I'm, I, I'm on I'm live on mine right now, so I'm gonna tell everybody. I gave everybody the link. That's fine. Oh yeah, cool. Yeah, that works. Yeah. Please tell them to come over. Yeah. Yes, that is true. That's very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So we're sitting and waiting and watching as the Democratic Party tries every which way to justify their actions regarding Roe v. Wade. It's obviously a topic that everyone's talking about right now and everyone is in major panic mode. I mean, look, if people want to go and protest in front of you know, Justice Kavanaugh's house, who gives a damn? He <laughs> shouldn't even be on the court to begin with. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, it's like you say that you care about Roe v. Wade, and yet you've constantly made an effort to make sure that non uh, that that pro uh, anti-choice, anti-choice candidates, candidates like Henry Cuellar remain in Congress. The duality of the party is really messed up at this point. And apparently Speaker Pelosi earlier today made it very clear that they don't really know what they're doing. No, she's somebody at flat asked her, like, how did this happen? How did we get here with Roe v. Wade? And she really, she said, I don't know. What are your thoughts? (laughs) At least she's being honest. I think the both parties, both corporate parties want this issue alive. They couldn't, I don't think either one of them, Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, all these people, they, they couldn't care less about your body. What they care about is, is, is using it for the energy they need. Midterms are coming up. Where are Democrats going to get the energy? And so they're perfectly fine with this. Most people are rallying to the cause, which I perfectly understand. As far as legislation goes, I am pro-choice without question. Personally, I would be pro-life. Like, you know, if something happened, I would want um, the mother to keep it. But that to, that would be her decision. I would try to persuade, persuade her, but it'd be her decision. Nobody has realistic discussions about this. Uh, ultimately, they're leaving it up to the states. And I want to, I want us to get along. I want us to figure out a way to, so how do we continue as a country? I think this might be the best way. Leave it up to the states. Even though I am pro-choice, how do we stay together and when we don't agree? This is not something you can kind of be stuck in the middle and not take a side on. Uh, my problem with that is that if we look at Bob, to me, there is nothing more important in being a de- democracy than the idea of bodily autonomy. And once you have a government kind of intruding on bodily autonomy, that to me is very scary. So and if you leave it up to the states, it's sort of like saying, why not leave? 
the other our other rights up to the states. You know, we, we don't leave our right to, you know, let's say speech or free speech. That's not left up to the states. Like there's certain things that we would say, OK, some states are so conservative, they might get rid of it. And that's just not what we're about. And the idea and also a lot of states without resources, even the states that don't flat out get rid of Roe versus Wade, they certainly won't have any sort of funding for it. And it only really most this will mostly affect poor and people of color. That's these kinds of because wealthy white women will find their way to get the health care and the services they need. Always. And that's and that's what the problem is, is it is not this is not something that um, affects everybody equally. And, and it's not that that's good either. It shouldn't affect anybody because bodily autonomy is once you start messing with that and the government's having a say so about that. It's just I think that's a very scary place to be as a democracy. And again, the other issue that you have to remember regarding this this particular issue, if it is left up to the states, it only furthers the divide that we really are the divided states of America, because what's going to end up happening, especially in the extremely conservative states, especially in the deep south, whether it's Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, uh, what's going to end up happening there is uh, anyone who is more of a pro-choice lean is going to end up probably relocating to another state and the deepening of the blue-red divide will grow even deeper. So blue states will get more blue, red states will get more red. And that creates an even greater divide at a time where people think it's a joke to even suggest that we could be heading for Civil War 2.0. I'm really not sure that it's that big of a stretch to suggest that the more we divide ourselves, the easier it is to really look at each other as the enemy. And that's that's the dangerous avenue that we go down if the states are ultimately left up to decide what happens with, you know, bodily autonomy. And honestly, with with where things are going right now, I think that's where it's going to end up. Yeah, I've I've become probably since the last time we talked, I've become more libertarian. Probably if you were to sure. gauge where I'm at, because I'm good with all that, because I, I think we we're at the point where we literally cannot if we had to amend the Constitution to to, to define what a woman is, I don't think we could do it. So I'm not saying anybody on either side is right or wrong. I'm just saying we are so far apart now. And there's a th I, I said the other day, there's authoritarians to the left of me. There's authority, not you all, but there's authoritarians to the right when the, on the left, I mean. Joe Biden trying to make everybody take an experimental drug or get fired from their job. That's bodily autonomy. And the same here. So I, I think you you all are consistent. I'm consistent, too. I think you should have full control. Also from the right, um, the issues of hormone blockers or, you know, the young, the transgender children. I don't like the governors getting in the way. If a parent, a child, and a doctor decide to do something, you should stay out of that. There is no reason for me to get involved with that. So I'm seeing authoritarian on both sides, and we got to figure it out. I don't know how that works without some type of decentralization from the federal government or what. Yeah, no, it's definitely authoritarian on both sides. And it's like they just pick and choose what they're authoritarian about. I've been very, very clear and consistent that I'm against bans and I'm against mandates. That's not something that I think in general. First of all, they don't work. Um, so from that, so they just don't. And so I just those are not methods of policy that I think are effective. Um, but I just think it's too authoritarian for me. And I've always said this when it comes to civil liberties, I'm as libertarian as you get. I believe in a social safety net and I believe in an economic system that you know empowers workers and that. But when it comes to our civil liberties, 
I support all of them and everybody's individual. If it's consenting adults, I don't want to know. I don't know. I don't care. I don't care what your genitals are. I don't really care what bathroom you use. These are not things I need to be concerned with. I, you know, and, and they use these, as you know, these are the issues that they raise money and rally their base, both sides. And so it's we're just being used for as, as some sort of like pawn and in any, that. And any excuse not to talk about economic Correct. issues. Any excuse. That is what this is all about. And not that it isn't an important issue, but it always seems to be so very convenient as we start to enter electoral season that any excuse not to talk about a living wage, universal health care, ending the wars, implementation of the Defense Production Act, where we could finally start building a clean energy grid. There are so many things that we could be talking about that overwhelmingly people agree on, but it always comes down to LGBTQ, woman's right to choose, Second Amendment, or who knows what else, where people are really, dig, where they really dig their heels in the sand. And this is why we're divided, because the narrative at the very top is always driven to divide us, not unite us. Yeah, I, I feel like it, it, you can almost feel it like you're, we're being controlled from topic to topic. Right. I don't feel like this is organic. I know that this is, a, abortion is a passionate topic, but I don't feel like it, I think people would be talking about things that actually affect their daily lives, put food on the table in a normal, organic scenario. And that's what we get. And I, I think that represent I don't want to jump too quick to topics, but that's what happened in the Turner race is they jumped in there. They're like, well, hold up, hold up. You're talking about some stuff over here that we can't control the narrative if you're going to be talking about um, Medicare for all and all that, that kind of stuff. We need you to talk about what we we need you to talk about. So we've got our candidate. And that's why corporate, whether you're on the right or, or the left, these corporate um, politicians, Nancy Pelosi, 82, and Steny Hoyer, 82, and Clyborne, 81. And he was like, he, he, they asked him if he was going to run again. He was like, hell yeah, I'm going to run again. He's 81 years old. Marcel we Dixon. Do yeah, Marcel Dixon's challenging. Yep. But mm -hmm. you, so you feel like we do. It's like, if your interest is serving the public good, pass the friggin' baton. If your interest is about serving, then you're serving. You're not about you. These people have proven time and time again that they are about them. And I don't want to discount the LGBTQ issues because I do think even though they're wedge issues, that they're being used meanly. As a weapon. Truly, yes. And that, and that to me, people that are in that community, especially trans people, you can't think of a more vulnerable, marginalized community like black trans women is about as marginalized a group as you could possibly come up with. And it, to me, it's just so kicking down. And I just, I feel like there we're so much better than that, you know, and, and they use it because like you said, they don't want to talk about real things. They don't want to address that we don't have healthcare and we don't have a living wage. And it's infuriating to me. I, I just, I, I hate it. And it's mean, it's mean. Why? It's just unkind. Like, I, I just feel like it's inherently cruel to punch down. Yep. And I, I think if things were organic, if we had representatives that weren't driven by their corporate interests, whether it's Big Pharma or whoever, then we would have more discussions like we're having right now, but at the political, you know, in D.C. They don't have, they don't even sit down and have these type of discussions from what I know. I'm not in D.C., but it doesn't look like it to me that they even have these type of discussions. I think if we had populists, whether you agree with them or not, we would be able to sit down 
and and work stuff out. It's the corporations that are getting in the middle of this and messing it up for us. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's interesting when you say that because it is populism. And what's so frustrating, and I've said this to very, very conservative pro-life people that they do not like that abortion is a legal thing. I get that. They don't like it. But what I'll say to them is, do you support democracy? And do you believe in a democracy that majority rules? Because if you believe that, then you have to acknowledge if you have the minority opinion, you're not getting your way. And that's just the way it is. If you actually believe that the minority should control, then you don't support democracy. And that's the bigger issue. Like, so I get that you might not like that policy, but sorry, you're outvoted. And, and I, and I, once, once you explain it like that, they're like, oh yeah, I do sort of support majority rule. Well, you can't have it both ways. You can't say that. So I think it's important. And therein lies the big issue of our time, which is corporate special interests controlling our government. And as long as that is the case, you're going to see the GOP continue to do voter suppression tactics because for them, the infrastructure the way it's funded, they do not want it to change. Can I just so say, Ray, a, I know we're a constitutional republic, but we're based on a democracy <laughs> principle where people vote for God's sake. I know we're a republic. Sorry. Yeah. I know that. I know. And I get know. corrected on that a lot, too. I know. But I just I, want to I do a disclaimer. We know. <laughs> right, we know. But you know what I'm saying. In a democracy. No, no. Let me. Voting, it's yeah, majority let me, rule. Yeah, let me jump in. Ray Studios, friend of the channel here, um, and okay. my I took down my live, so he jumped over. Thanks, Ray. Sub up. Yeah. We got good discussions here. Here's where I, I just want to make sure you understand. I think what what Jen and Peter are saying is that you know there there are issues that are popular in this country, and the only reason that our representatives aren't really representing us on those issues is because of the corporations, and we've got to we've got to honor that whether we agree with that issue or not because there could be an issue that you're pop you want that the corporations are getting in the way of yeah that was very well said but it's true it's like we just you know when we were little kids you were taught majority rule that's just the way it is um and i think that we've seen and the gop has done it very successfully over the past like 40 years they have very strategically infiltrated at not just the judicial level, but at the real local levels of government and have really worked that system to their advantage. So essentially, we're living where a minority is ruling. And it's, it's very and that's what's so frustrating. And I think like people see it. They're just not understanding the mechanics of it. Like they're wondering, well, most people support this, but this isn't happening. And yeah, there is corporate money involved for sure. But we have watched the minority party essentially take control of our of our policies in this country and it's very um it's very disconcerting to me yeah you know it's definitely and again if the majority rule was that they believed that a woman didn't have a right to choose then you know then you have a a, you know something to be said but the truth is three out of four almost four out of five believe that a woman has the right to choose yeah it's 70 over 70 and we already have very specific laws in place regarding abortion in that you can't kill of, of, you know, it's, it, is it illegal in the third trimester? It's, it's, they're allowed to ban it. Roe is very moderate. Roe says yeah. that in the first trimester, mm-hmm. states cannot ban it. In the second trimester, they can make laws that sort of regulate it. And in the third trimester, they can ban it. Most states have. Um, the last I checked, there were only two states that allowed third term abortions. And when people call that out, like as if that's a real choice that anyone, no woman is carrying her baby to the third trimester and then just deciding they don't want it. That's not 
not how that happens. And doctors don't do that. The only time that happens is when there is a medical reason for that to happen. And so they, they messaging is very important with this. And they're very good yeah, at messaging. Yeah, but Democrats suck at messaging. And even here, you know, you have like it being referred to as a baby, not a baby till it's born. And and that's just science. That's not my opinion. I also it's called a fetus because it's called a fetus. And fetus. the other thing that I always find so interesting is, and listen, as uh, from from one from one guy to another, Osiris, why do so many men feel the need to stick their nose in this issue? It's like it's like ridiculous, guys. You can't if uh, if you had to deal with a period just once in your life, you would all shut the fuck up, all of you. You have no uterus. Facts. Like, Dude, like it's really like there's a lot of issues to complain about, but the idea that it's that there seems to be so many men, men that men. are so hyperactive on this issue. And the thing God is, damn. what's so frustrating about it is we all know the truth. If men got pregnant, we wouldn't be having this discussion. Oh, oh. Abortions would be required. <laughs> I agree with that. I mean, I, that might be a controversial statement with some, but I agree with that completely. And I'm like you, Peter. I, I feel a little awkward even. That's why I said it's your choice. I don't even really get into it like that. But the part of it that I don't hear a lot of people talking about to me is this is also a battle between the federal government and states with, you know, especially with them saying, hey, row no more, leave it up to the states that takes power away from the federal government. So you're ha you're seeing people passionate about this topic in D.C. And I don't know if they're passionate because of your body or if they're passionate because of they want the power with the federal government. So it's, it's, it, there's a, I think there's a give and take there. And Mitch McConnell even said, Hey, we might, he didn't rule it out that they would try to do a law, which I think would be unconstitutional, but they're trying to yeah. do a law. Yeah. To, so they're trying to scare people, of course, but then also, I think that's just about where the government, where the legislative branch, I want us to have the power. Yeah. Agreed. And it should be based on what the majority of people want. I mean, that's that's the point. And, you know, the abortion issue is definitely um, it's difficult because people it's religion based, which means that they're not basing it on reason. Once once people are basing their opinions on religion and doctrine and that reason is out the door. So you're not going to be able to have a reasonable discussion about it because they're not dealing with reason. Uh, and and it's, it's a problem. And this has always been the biggest point of contention from my perspective. Like we are, I am very adamant that the biggest problem with the Democratic Party is that they are bought and paid for by Wall Street, point blank, period. And the biggest problem with the GOP is they have been completely co-opted by the evangelical right. There is no getting around that point. Everyone should know it. And one of the biggest reasons why, because listen, there are people who have a much more right-leaning audience that I think overall have really good, you know, like topics of discussion. Tim Pool happens to be one in particular that we're very friendly with, that we think runs a very good show. And he loves to poke the bear. He loves to troll. But overall, he does a really good show. There are others, though, who are absolute grifters led by Charlie Kirk where and Candace Owens, where a lot of what mm. they will do is really structured around who's going to give us the most money, who's going to provide us with the most infrastructure for our brand and what we do. And the one thing that cannot be denied regarding the evangelical right, they have money and they will give it to you. If you are talking about what you believe, like I am a, I believe that a woman should, you know, uh, be, uh, you know, I am pro-life and that women should bring a baby to term if they're pregnant and all this, that, and the other thing. I call them forced birthers. Guys, do you not see how rich Joel Osteen is? Do you not see how rich Billy Graham's family is? Do you not see how rich 
Jerry Falwell became. This is a grift, whether you like it or not. There really is something to be said for constantly harping on an issue that will make you money. Like that to me is this is the grift of Roe v. Wade, just as it's a grift with the Democrats, because they've had plenty of opportunity to codify this issue. They refuse to do it because they know it's a fundraising machine for their party. And so both sides, in my opinion, are habitually guilty of completely taking advantage of this issue. And that's where I think we stand right now. I think that is something that doesn't get talked about enough because I completely respect people's right to believe what they want to believe. That is the separation of church and state. If you're pro-life, I completely respect you. You have every reason to believe that. You do not have the right to tell somebody else what to do. Absolutely agreed. And it's hypocrisy from the right too, because the... But when the left does something and tries to demand it on everybody else, this is the same thing. Yeah, like that, like somebody said in our chat, mask mandates was tyranny. Forcing people to wear a mask mm-hmm. is tyranny. Forcing a woman to carry a baby she doesn't want, that's that's okay. You guys, you gotta, you gotta see the hypocrisy. Just be consistent. All. That's and all I'm saying. Like I, I, I just try to be very morally consistent. And if we're going to transition, speaking of hypocrisy, mm. I mean... Oh. Jim Clyburn, for the life of me, and this is something that you really have to talk about because as as, as two people, I mean, again, you know, I I don't come from a background that doesn't understand what it's like, but I'm still not a person of color. I am not from those. Really? Yeah, really. (laughs) You look pretty freaking colorful to me. But hearing it from somebody like yourself, because there are people who think that they can just chastise us if we choose to call out Representative Clyburn for the things that he does, which I think are extremely nefarious and extremely harmful to communities of color. Yet people in many instances still see him as a political god, and that is very dangerous. So if you can speak to the hypocrisy of somebody like Jim Clyburn, who is as funded as any representative in both parties by Big Pharma. And when we talk about the issues regarding healthcare in communities of color, this is one of, if not the biggest issue of them all. And he is at the forefront of making sure that none of that change happens. That's why he screwed Nina in Cleveland, and he's now trying to screw Jessica Cisneros in Texas for Henry Quare. Yeah, Jim Clyburn is, he represents everything that's wrong with DC right now. And I really want to throw a shout out to anyone who is on the right, that it matters to you just as much as anybody on the left right now, because he is the he is the type of person that is stopping us from being, to me, a functioning country, that type of person. So it comes from whether you care about the mandates. He's trying to still push the FDA to, you know, you know, push to get more um, things in arms. He's against Medicare for all. And it's not from an organic position. It's because he's backed by the people who don't want it. So then Nina Turner comes up and and his, his background, when you look at even what happened with Biden and Bernie, I mean, this goes back even more. It even goes back to Obama, even though I'm not a big Obama fan, uh, but he, he backed Obama and the Clintons didn't like it. And ever since then, he's been trying to make it up to them. Like, 
I had he said after so let me tell you what he in in 08 he backed Obama and he basically had to beg the Clintons like the Clintons did you hear about like back in the day the Clintons reamed him out on a phone call reportedly they were like well how could you do this he's like the dude's black that's the only reason why so he's like every single year he's like I gotta make it up to them the Clintons didn't want Nina Turner the Clintons obviously didn't want Bernie and he swooped in and helped every single time. And that's how he has amassed. He's the third. He's very powerful. I mean, look in D.C. How many people are more powerful than him? Not many. Pelosi. That's Nancy. Yeah, Yeah, Nancy's probably one of the most powerful there. But other than her, there aren't many people more powerful than him. And he's been able to play the game. And most recently, even if you don't watch, because many people on my channel probably don't watch the Nina Turner stuff. What happened with Nina Turner, this happened twice in what, less than a year? So a year ago, Hillary swooped in. They spent about $6 million between both runs against Nina Turner. This is just, that's my old hometown district. It's uh, Ohio 11, right? It's my old hometown. Yeah. And they spent $6 million. And some of those districts, they barely get over 10000 spent on an, an election. So they spent $6 million trying to stop Nina Turner. Now I have I have some issues with Nina Turner, but I she is very influential, very powerful, very captivating. If you hear her speak, she's she's passionate. She's someone you can work with. But instead, they got Chantel Brown, corporate buttoned up, just the next, you know, corporate person in DC. And yeah. that's what's causing these issues here. Yeah, I, I find it really frustrating. And I, I mean, obviously, if it were a fair fight, let's take all the corporate money out of it, then we all know who would win. And so when yep. you when you have to put the thumb, your thumb on the, the, the power lever so heavily like that with that money, that means that you're not representing most people. You're buying it. And that's very frustrating. And I'd like to give a shout out to Tim Black. Funny, we mentioned Tim Black. If you ever want to hear somebody's really good opinion of Jim Clyburn, I highly recommend looking at anything Tim Black has ever done about Jim Clyburn because it's glorious. It really is. And and obviously we can't do that here. And so I do appreciate it when it is done properly. So I'm just saying. And he is a big problem. He's a total corporate Wait, are you saying you can't do that here because of race or? Yeah, well, I'm not going to talk the way Tim Black talks about Jim Clyburn. That's not yeah. going to happen. I'm not going says. But here's what I think. Here's the problem that I have with a lot of the populist left. But we got to get past the race stuff. Like, I don't. Jim Clyburn is trash. I don't. You can't be afraid. To, no, you can't say it maybe like Tim does. I can't say it even <laughs> like Tim does. But no one can do it like Tim does. But. We gotta. We just gotta call it. I, at this point, I don't even care anymore. I'm just gonna call a spade a spade. I'm gonna try to be based on truth. If you call me, whatever name, it's like whatever. Talk about the subject matter. Jim Clyburn has to be removed from DC. I don't care if you're a MAGA. I don't care if you're an AOC supporter. I don't care if you're a Nita Turner supporter. People like Jim Clyburn have to be voted out of office. Yeah. Period. If we're gonna have any type of control in this country. I think what it is for me when I talk about it, when it involving race, and I think this with any group of people, there is a certain evil place in hell for people that hurt their own and step on their own 
when they know that they need the help the most and they're in the best position to do so. And that is where it is somewhat race related to me, because I feel like and I feel like this about Obama. This is why he was one of the biggest disappointments to me is because I felt like he was somebody who knew better and who could do better. Like, I didn't expect anything from W. He was a moron. I expected him to be a moron. And he lived up to that just fine. Obama, I did have higher expectations. And I did think because he knows better, he's smarter, he's gracious, like all these things. So yeah, I had higher expectations for him than I did for the other idiot. And so when I look at people that are willing to sell out their own people, it's like a whole other level to me. And I I just, I find it, it's very sad. It's very sad to me. And I do think that's why when people in the black community will specifically call out their leaders that are selling out their own people. I think it does carry some more weight than someone like me saying it, you know? So that's, I just think it's nice for people in the black community to have the other perspective that is like, uh, yeah, Jim Clyburn's not your friend. And you say that with a lot more credibility than I do. Yeah. Well, I will say that with, um, you know, you mentioned Tim Black. Tim Black has um, blocked me on Twitter. We had some uh, back and forth. So, you know, some people don't even view me as black. So let me make sure that's clear. I don't want to act like I'm all blackly black right now because um, a lot of people who disagree with me don't view me as that because I don't. Here's why. I don't fall mm-hmm. into that. I don't support Jim Clyburn just because he's black. That's not going to happen. I don't give a what color skin he is. And he, if you don't know, he's in South Carolina. He's been in Congress since 93. He voted for the 94 crime bill as well. And he, he is in one of the poorest districts in the country, top like six or seven in the country, poorest districts. And not that a politician's going to change that necessarily, but damn, over 30 years, somebody else got to have a chance. Something's wrong there. He's 81, has been with the poorest district for like 30 years. Somebody else needs a chance at this point. I don't care if you, what Marcel race or what. We had Marcel Dixon on it. He, of course, has all the he's numbers. He's great. Oh, he's awesome. And he can, he knows specifically, I forget what the numbers are. It isn't just that it's it, the poorest. It's actually gotten worse during Jim Clyburn's tenure. It, it's not even that it stayed the same. It's gotten worse. He's actually really, really good. And the only reason why he's not going anywhere is because he doesn't have a real financial infrastructure. But if he had that, I think he would be a real thorn in Clyburn's side. It's oh, yeah. not going to happen this election cycle. But if he was able to really build up momentum, especially in 24 and a real change year, which is going to happen next next presidential term, he is going to have an opportunity if he had, you know, maybe a few hundred thousand dollars behind him, he could probably put a scare into Clyburn. I could definitely see that. Did you have him on, Osiris? No, no, I would want to. I would want to. I've seen him on various channels. He is the personality, captivating and authentic. We'll set that that. up. Oh, cool. Thanks. And you know, he's he's Gullah. He's Gullah. And mm-hmm. I, I am so fascinated by that. I, I love that in Charleston, that whole culture thing. And it's so mm-hmm. interesting and it's unique and all of that. And he speaks that language, which is just so cool to me. But um, he's definitely on the correct side of what needs to happen to help the people in his district. And he's from there and he sees the suffering there and wants to do something about it. Jim Clyburn, on the other hand, sees the suffering and then stands on top of those people to recommend. Hey, how can I vote. take advantage of that? I can't. It's so frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Marcel. Yeah. On on Marcel, if you don't know, Google him, Marcel Dixon. Uh, Very interesting guy. So uh, let me ask you, though, because, you know, he's in the South. 
he's you know he's running one of the first candidates I've ever seen that ran on the platform of reparations. But he's his platform is reparations, but bigger than that too. He is pro two A and uh, pro life as well. What do you what do you all think about that from the Democrat side? Yeah. So for me, and I've always said this, the person that you elect needs to represent their constituents. So if he is representative of that community, and by the way, and we have this here in Broward, there is a very huge chunk of our black community that is pro-life. And so when you go into those communities and wanting to represent those communities, you need to represent them. So I am okay. Again, it's a majority rule thing, but based on your district, you need to represent your people. So I think that he does based on like what I'm seeing and what the culture is there. And it is very specific. It's, it's a very unique culture. It's not like any, and you know, as you know, black people are not a monolith, but this in particular is a very specific area. And I think he would be a great representative of that. I also have no problem with the second amendment. And I would also like to tell you that I had reparations on my platform from day one of our campaign. Now it wasn't the main it wasn't the main thing like he's running on, um, but it's always been in my platform. I actually don't think we can move forward until we do that. So I, I think it's one of the biggest holdups in where we are as a nation is that we do not reckon with the crap that we did to people and that American descendants of slaves need their repay. And, and I feel like it's like any debt you owe, you're not able to get move forward until you repay your debt. And so to me, it's important. Um, I think it'll play well for him. I do. I agree with Peter. I think his problem is funding and, you know, and, you know, not just running against Clyburn, but just in general funding. But yeah, I think he is, he represents a fresh new, that's what people are wanting, I think, in his district. So that's my thought. He represents the majority of his people. Then his pro-life is their, that's their right to argue that and fight for that. I respect that. Um, But yeah, that. It'll depend on how many of his people support And it's part of the reason why we're also where we are right now is because, again, we're a very lethargic culture. Uh, Technology, big tech, whatever you want to call it, has really slowed us down. It's obviously our greatest asset, but it's our greatest detriment at the same time. I still think it's the biggest reason why people are not in the streets. But even if something is simple right now with the prospect of Roe v. Wade being overturned, you see the hundreds of people lining up in Chevy Chase, Maryland. What a name, right? I mean, talk about perfect name. Everyone thinks they're talking about the actor, but Chevy Chase, Maryland is one of the wealthiest towns in the country. And you have these people lining up in front of Kavanaugh's house protesting. And the truth is they're not even really doing anything, but you can see how direct action actually gets things done. And we don't take any action. Like we are the laziest freaking culture ever. I don't think any of those people should ever get a moment's peace when they leave their house. I think Kristen Sinema should be heckled everywhere she walks in public. I think Joe Manchin should be heckled everywhere they go in public. You're a public servant. You're not serving your public. You're not taking meetings with your people. Too bad. I think it's sad that the justices addresses got out, but they're out there. Too bad. You don't like public opinion, then don't be ruling against the majority of people. That's exactly right. And again, at the end of the day, uh, Kavanaugh really strikes me as the type of person where if there was like a rotating group of protesters at his house over the next several months or even the next even the next several years. He's the only one. 
He's liable to quit. He's liable to be like, hey, I didn't sign up for this. I ain't doing this. I would be hanging out at Amy Coney Island's house because I don't under, and again, I, the two of them are the most, uh, they have to be the least qualified people on that court. Um, that's just another issue. But yeah, I would be, if I, I would be protest. There should be 24 seven people heckling that you want to rule against the majority. Then this is what you have to contend with. Thomas Jefferson really said it best. He said, when people fear the government, there is tyranny. When the government fears the people, there is liberty. I think it's one of the greatest slogans I've ever heard out of any historical figure we have ever had in our nation's history, because it is so true. We, most people fear our government. The government does not fear us, not even a little bit. If our, if our government for a second thought that we had pitchforks at the gates, oh, forget it. Things would change like that. They really would. Yeah. And th this is just testament to how we are so divided over such, with all due respect, such stupid stuff that if we actually mm -hmm. got our act together and really focused on what we could focus on that really matters, oh, we would get, we would have a living wage and universal health care tomorrow. Like we really would. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree. Actually, when you look at the justices, the, the, well, I think Kavanaugh is probably the one that you could sway even if you don't get them to quit, you could sway on that. I think you do have to make sure you don't cross the line. I'm a little bit more conservative with the protests than y'all. I, th I think we just got to make sure we don't. Like J6, I think there was some, you know, Black Lives Matter stuff, you know, and then J6. And then now uh, we got to make sure you don't cross the line to violence. Um, I've seen stuff that's gotten really close to the line here. Um, I think we are getting kind of close to the line going outside that, the justices' homes while there is a um, pending case, basically. There's no nothing official yet. Um, I think that because we were talking about civil war, that's a little civil war-ish to me um, when, you're, when you're doing it like that. But if you have a, a permit to protest or you're po protesting somewhere where you can and you're doing it peacefully, that's, I mean, that's the American way. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I am anti-violence. I am. But yeah, I am oh, yeah. pro calling people out to their face. I have no problem with that. And if you're going to make decisions, you should be accountable for them. There was a question in there asking about if reparations are paid for by white slaveholders or by taxpayers. I'd be happy to answer that for you. OK, so there is not a person alive in this country that is not a beneficiary of slavery. If you live here, you are a beneficiary of slavery. So you might not have owned people. My family never owned anybody. My family were poor Russian Jews that were fleeing for their lives in the turn of the century. They were owned, not owners. But yet I have benefited from slavery. So, yes, it comes from taxpayers. It comes from a country that has to pay its debt. Everybody's concerned about that's where it's from. So I never own slaves. My people never own slaves. And yet it is my responsibility to repay the debt of the country that I am a beneficiary of. That is my answer to your question. <clears throat> Plus, I think that if you can't realize that now, we're just too, for I, I don't even know. But yes, it's a taxpayer responsibility. That is correct. Yeah. Well, here's my thing with reparations. I, I did a rant on it. Um. I don't know what problem it solves. And for me, the first step is we, we lost the child tax credit. We can't even get yeah. that back. Like, how are we going to get reparations? Like, that's, I mean, that's yeah. something that affects everybody. Uh, you can't get them. We can't get a minimum wage. Now, in, in theory, I'm for the free market controlling people's wages. But if you want a minimum wage, you can't even get that raised. 
How we uh, we're so far away from reparations. Like it's we got to deal with the Nancy Pelosi's. We got to and here's I'm going to change it just for a second. What I see right now, though, because I know a lot of people don't like the MAGA, the Trump, and all that. But I think even if you don't like them, you can learn something from them. Did you did you see? Have you been following the Dr. Oz thing where Trump endorsed Dr. Oz for? We knew he endorsed. We knew he endorsed him, but I haven't been following following that. So please share because obviously we support Fetterman. So by all means, share. And the reason why I bring that up isn't to you know talk about supporting Dr. Oz. Trump yeah. brought out Dr. Oz at a rally, and the people weren't feeling it. They're not feeling Dr. Oz at all. And the reason why I bring that up is I don't know if the populist left has the that that ability to do that to Joe Biden. So people say that MAG is a cult and all this. Right now, I'm seeing Trump get a lot of pushback from a lot of people. He brought out the Johnson and Johnson owners, the family at a rally. I don't think I heard booze, but it was awkward. It was silent. Nobody was cheering. He brought them on because they funded him even when a lot of people didn't, but people don't like actually big pharma. So what the point what I'm bringing up is I see that the populist right has taken over the momentum from the, from the Republicans. And I don't see that on the left. I don't see anybody on the left pushing Joe Biden or pushing AOC. AOC and the squad didn't even endorse Nina Turner. How, how, how does that happen without consequences? On the right, they would have been like, like for those who aren't, don't follow this, it would be like Marjorie Taylor Greene and the Freedom Caucus or whatever in, in the House not supporting her. The populist right would have named names. You're all are getting primaried and out of here. And yeah. I don't see yeah. that from the left. No, because they're completely and they're a mess. And they're a mess. Mess. completely disorganized. And everyone yeah. has a freaking ego. And you've got a lot of people who do show very few, if anybody, does what we do on our podcast. We cross-pollinate, we connect with as many different people as possible. There are too many egos when it comes to the uh, you know the, the left uh you know YouTube uh space. There is a lot of uh, there are a lot of people who want to uh, get the credit for doing things when it comes to working on campaigns or advising candidates and anything like that. It's this whole idea of me, me, me. Ego. Ego. Big ego. That's a huge problem. And it was not lost on us that when we were in Cleveland for Nina, no one was there. And I mean no, no one, one was there. Keith Ellison showed up for her. Thank you, Keith. I was the... The God, biggest celebrity to show up to their campaign, politically speaking, that's not a good sign. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I was, it, it's very disappointing. Again, shout out to Katie Porter, who has balls. Um, you know, there are some people mm -hmm. that do and and have the courage of their conviction. But the rest of them, I, I, I'm sorry, but I think of it as fairly spineless. So the Congressional Progressive Caucus, which is a ludicrous thing anyway, the amount of people in it that are not progressive is just, yeah. I, that, it, it means There's no qualification. Yeah, there's no qualification. What are the qualifications to get in? That. Apparently anybody can, because Chantel Brown joined. Listen, the fact that they were willing to die on that hill for Chantel <laughs> Brown, 
My God, I mean, Mark Pocan going on national TV saying, oh, she's a fantastic progressive. No, he said there's two great progressives to choose from in this race. That's what Mark Pocan said. That's insanity. Right. Insanity. Right. There has to be, there, there, that is the most disappointing thing right now to me. Did Jamal Bowman even talk? Did he mention it at all? Was he, no, I didn't hear anything nope. from him. No. Nope. Well, this is, I think AOC's, mm-hmm. Not at the last minute. Well, this is something that I find interesting. So I don't know if you remember when Jamal Bowman was running, the Congressional Black Caucus endorsed Elliot Engel over him. And and I always thought, I wonder how that is now for Jamal being in the Congressional Black Caucus that endorsed the white guy over him. And I've realized that it's as meaningless. The Congressional Black Caucus is as meaningless as the Progressive Caucus. So it's like what you're saying. So in the Black Caucus, they just happen to be black. They're not actually discussing black issues. They're not working on things that would be better for the black community. They just happen to be black. And, and, and I just don't see how that's a benefit. What's the point of that? I did not know that. Are you serious? Are oh, you serious? No, I'm not saying I'm not one. I like, I don't want them to pick him just because of race, but no, that, no, 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 that's no. really awkward though. Like that's oh. really awkward if that's what I'm saying. And it isn't just it isn't just race. It's corporate uh, yeah. versus non-corporate to us. Mm-hmm. Like my support of Jamal Bowman isn't because he's black. It's the same thing. Happening. It's because he's not corporate. It's the same thing happening in mm-hmm. South Texas right now with Jessica Cisneros and Henry Cuellar. It has nothing to do whatsoever with being pro-choice or anti-choice. No. It has to do with who's corporate and who's not. And that's it. And everyone who is in politics, everyone who's in the chat, Everyone who is watching this show and anyone who is involved in politics in any capacity, the unifying issue of our time is corporate special interest has captured our government. Anytime you see a move by anyone at the top that in any way smells fishy. That's interesting. It's because non-corporate candidates must be destroyed. See, that's that's that's, that's messed up right there. Sean Hartman, friend who's running for um, commission in um, Cape Coral and is also uh, more to the right of us. So I appreciate that voice. Um, but yeah, that's that's the thing. So these things are just jokes, those groups. I want to address, I think Mario keeps asking me for who is the white guy over my shoulder. And the only thing I can think of is that you- No, the only person that was ever older over my shoulder is Thurgood Marshall. I can assure you he's not white, but it is a black and white poster. And so maybe Based on the lighting, it looked like, and also I go with young Thurgood because he is so much, so much cuter than old Thurgood. <laughs> old Thurgood kind of let himself go. So if I'm going to be hanging a poster on the wall, I'm going with young Thurgood. Um, but that's the only thing I could think of. But he keeps saying, he's not white though, Mario. Um, I actually would put that up again. So I got to bring it back out. We switched studios. So that's all I'm going to, all I'm going to say to race studios is really getting into it with our chat right now regarding a minimum wage. Here's what I can tell you. Would you rather pay somebody the amount of money that requires them to get on welfare or would you rather pay them enough that they don't need the government for help? And can participate in the economy. And and what you are doing, Ray, I have to say, the worst corporation in the United States, in my opinion, bar none, is Walmart. And what they did to build their fortune was take advantage of low-wage workers for decades. Rather than pay them a living wage and give them health care, they got rich by requiring their employees to get on the government dole. If you are as conservative as you claim to be, then your goal is to say, I don't want anyone on the government dole. 
anybody. You should only be on it if it is an absolute last resort. But in this case, what you're suggesting is get on it. No, this is where libertarians and progressives need to find common ground because we don't want people on the government dole either. Because when you're on the government dole, you are to you are dependent on the government and people who are dependent on the government typically vote against their best interests. So that's what we're trying to do. If you are a small business owner and we encourage everybody shop small, avoid big, always paying a living wage is how we get out of this. Now, unfortunately, we do not have good labor laws in this country. I think the best, best place to wind down this conversation is to talk about what we believe is really the future of populist politics right now, and that is through the labor movement. What Chris Smalls did with the Amazon Labor Union in Staten Island was absolutely spectacular. It is one of the best things that could have happened to any of us in probably at least. And I'm almost tempted to put a picture of Chris Smalls up on yeah, this right now. Like, but I'll, I'll bring my carpet back out. But I would love to hear your thoughts because, as far as we're concerned, the thing that's great about the labor movement versus unions, because there is a distinct difference between the two, in not all unions, but most unions, is a top down approach. Labor is a bottom up approach. And that is what we need anytime. And if you need any proof, guys, in the 2016 primary, anytime the rank and file, were allowed to vote on union endorsement, it always went to Bernie. Anytime it was the top board decision regarding who got the endorsement, it always went to Hillary. To me, that says it all. And I think the labor movement is how we move forward. Your thoughts? Yes, I, I'm, uh, I consider myself a populist. So if people have power, I am all for that. And uh, there was a great moment. I don't know if uh, everyone saw that. You know, some people on my channel might not be into the left part of this, but um, where Chris Smalls skewered, it just absolutely annihilated Lindsey Graham. Yeah. Uh, that, that is what I, I mean, to see that moment was excellent. I will caution unions to me can be manipulative as well. So I'm yes. not, you, you all are probably more knowledgeable than me. I like what you said, the bottom up. As long as it's bottom up and not the union controlling them, because that's another yeah. layer of bureaucracy that's a waste of time. But what Chris Smalls has been able to do is eye-opening. And we, I think we're all, we all should be for power to the people. And I'll say this. I'll let you know. I want you all to tell me what you think. Nobody has done more to, 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 um, in corporate media to highlight this than Tucker Carlson. I, who it's, else? Who else has really highlighted this like that? Well, nobody. Because the truth is, there the, all the media is so corporate. The fact that he's done it, and I have noticed that there have definitely been moments where I'm like, ugh. And the reason why Tucker is able to do it is because he has full control of his show. So okay, he so does that's... whatever he wants, and he is the top-rated cable person. One thing you could say about Fox is that they the only thing that matters to Fox is much like what matters to the GOP. Winning, winning, winning. They don't care about anything else. If Tucker's getting them the best ratings and making them the most money, do whatever the hell you want. But I do want to say, Osiris, like we always distinguish between labor and union. So mm -hmm. I am always pro-labor. OK, I am not always pro-union that we have come into a lot of contact. And even today we had contact with union leadership 
that will mm. go against the best interest of their rank and file and where they put their money and where they put their endorsements. And so I know very clearly the distinguishing between labor and union and unions are every bit as co-opted and corrupt. It's a big organization with leadership. So there's going to be corruption and there's going to be that kind of Dan Reynolds. Oh yeah. We have our local person here who he gets it. He's they, they endorse Debbie. They don't even offer screenings to anyone else. And she is one of the more anti labor policy supporters that we have. And yet they keep endorsing her. Now the rank and file don't even know that they have a choice because their leadership doesn't present them with a choice. And so we absolutely recognize the distinction between, but, and one of the great things about what Chris Smalls did, and I'm hoping that this is going to be noticeable by people is that they are their own independent union. That is now the Amazon labor union. They're not part of a bigger organization. They are their own thing. So it really, to me is keeping it as, inside and local and base as possible, which is what we need to see more of. Um, but it seems like things just inherently get co-opted. Yeah. You know, like I, I feel like whether it's nonprofits or unions, like things just end up getting co-opted. And the beautiful thing about what happened with Chris Smalls is that the big union heads tried to come in and tell him essentially how to go about forming a union. And he basically told them to piss off. No. And so I as, love him as a result of that, this is the future. It really is. And, and as I've we've constantly been saying, it is great what is happening with Amazon. Obviously, Starbucks is inevitably going to become a completely unionized uh, business. Uh, it's it's just inevitable because you see you, how Howard all Schultz. the wealth. Yeah, Howard Schultz, what a piece of garbage. Uh, and so as a result of biting off more than you can chew, that's what's ultimately going to happen. And, and they were better for it. But to me, uh, you got to go after Walmart because that is the organization that needs to be toppled. Uh, the fact that it is everything that we as progressives and even people who are MAGA discuss all the time. They are the embodiment of the worst of the worst. They are all China all the time. Yeah. They pay no China. living wage. They have the crappiest food, the crappiest products, and everyone is made to suffer in that company. I felt what we had to walk into a- Why do you keep telling people I can't this? help it. I have to do it. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, had to walk we did. into a Walmart we when did. we were in Cleveland, because it was the only thing that was, was open only. after we were in the office late at night. We were helping out preparing for Nina's canvassing on Saturday. And then we left and needed some stuff. And we needed some supplies, all. and that was all that was open. And as soon as I walked in, probably for the first time and in probably five years, I was reminded of, oh, yeah, now I know why this is the shittiest company in the whole effing And country. let me ask you, what? Cyrus, are you aware that McDonald's, and, I, and, I, and I've heard it's the same for Walmart, but I know for sure McDonald's down here. When you apply for McDonald's and you get hired and they give you, like, your paperwork, they include with you the application for food stamps. So as we Oh, yes. Good friend of ours, Linda Joseph. She is a big organizer down here for SEIU and has basically overseen the fight for 15 and all of that down here. And absolutely, when you go to a McDonald's to get a job, they give you the paperwork for government assistance. And That's I heard that Walmart does that as well. It wouldn't surprise me. And no, that Walmart should not does be. A, do, no, Walmart they, does do that. Okay, I'm just saying firsthand, I know, I know for sure McDonald's does. That should not be a thing, people. So when Did you, that's you know crazy. that? No, I'm absolutely not. That's crazy. And mm -hmm. that's why I love you guys. That you guys talk about this is stuff if you're on the left or the right, you you can unite on this. This is not we agree on this kind of stuff. I did not know that. That's insane. That, is, raise, that makes and, no sense. 
And right. to raise studios, very important since you're talking about inflation and where inflation really comes from. Here's what I can tell you. If you were to look at a McDonald's, for example, in Europe and what they charge for a Big Mac, the Big Mac, if you will, if you're in France. it's like a Royal or something. A, a Royale with cheese. <laughs> That's from Pulp Come on, Fiction. let's do Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. Man, <laughs> man, folks, while we're at. Um, you will see that your inflation argument is nonsensical because they pay a living wage. They pay a living wage. And when you factor it in to what it actually costs to make a Big Mac and the increase in price, remember, it's all about consumption. If the average worker is going to take home an extra $150 a week, let's say, to get a living wage, then you have to factor in, well, how many Big Macs do we have to sell in order to justify that at the price point that's necessary? And if the price point that's necessary means that I have to sell an extra 37 Big Macs a week, believe me, that's nothing. It could be sold at lunchtime. So it is a nonsensical argument to say that we need a, a or, or and again, and Ray, you're probably a libertarian. You don't believe in any minimum wage, which a lot of people don't. I believe in a living wage. I don't think a minimum wage is the answer. I think a living wage is what we need. And ultimately, you will see that it is completely reasonable to have it, especially with mega corporations. It makes no sense whatsoever. And the only reason they do it is because they want to make the most profit possible. And if that's not enough, if that's not enough, if you are a true libertarian, you should not be directing your anger at people who want to make a living wage. You should be directing your anger at the corporate whores that are these mega corporations that's that welfare. get subsidized by the government that's in the welfare. billions. That's that is yes, yeah. yeah. Yep. And they don't even call it welfare. But no. um, I'm going to be on with Ray. Ray has his own channel. I'm going to be on with Ray this Sunday and uh, maybe we could talk about it. But I, I think we got to cut government spending. Yeah. So inflation to me is more printing money. The The outcome is prices go up. But if we cut government spending, then it all will even out. But if we're going to be burning money like we do with these omnibus bills that are like 3,000 or 2,000 pages long, then inflation is going to happen regardless of what we do with minimum wage. And it is the best argument for true conservative Republicans, because if there is one thing we can say about Pelosi, she is a spending machine of the worst kind. And when you Trump look at was the, too. Yeah. When you look at the bills that they put together, it is absolutely insane the amount of money that they get for these high-end liberal organizations, something as simple as the Kennedy Center. Every single time a spending bill goes out, they get at minimum $25 million. For what? For what? Mm -hmm. For nothing. They do it because it is, because as the great George Carlin said, it's a big club a big and you ain't in it. And it's the truth. Once you're in that club and you get that, as our as our troll Declan Scat Muncher likes to say, you get that sweet, sweet corporate cash. It is really hard to say no. I, I mean, it's a, it's a lot of variables that we're talking about when you're talking about a living wage. Like there's countries in Scandinavia, they don't have a minimum wage. They don't need one. They have extremely strong labor unions. So, you know, it's just got to give somewhere. But people should be able, in my opinion, to work a single job, a full time job and afford to live. And, yep. and that that shouldn't be radical. It just shouldn't be radical. That's the whole point of living in a civilization. If you don't like that, you can go live on like an island and not rely on anybody or anything. But I just, you know, and when you talk about if you made 725 and worked your way up, I don't know how old he is or what that. But Joe Biden said that once. I remember when we could work. Yeah, 
because back then the, the minimum wage was a living wage. Yeah. But interesting, our costs have gone up and our minimum wage hasn't. So the minimum wage is no longer live, living wage. It used to be. I tell you what we could do if you really want to scare the hell out of people and really start figuring out how to spend money better, start suggesting that we go back on the gold standard. So if you start talking about that, then you'll really start to get people to start thinking, man, you know what, maybe we don't need to print another trillion dollars. Maybe that's not such a good idea. And of course, ladies and gentlemen, what always ends up happening with all that money that gets printed? It never ends up where it needs to go. Well, I mean, so, do we need to subsidize Jeff Bezos? You know, when they chose... Um, Elon Musk, when the government chose Elon Musk's space rock penis rocket over Jeff Bezos' space penis rocket, um, I've never seen more of a of a like white man small penis competition in my life. But when they when that happened, our government subsidized Bezos for him not getting the contract. That's insanity, people. His people and his company can't even afford to take a bathroom break. So like those are not that is not where I want my tax dollars. I don't need my tax dollars going to that. Honestly, and this is the perfect place to wrap up the conversation. If all YouTube content creators had this type of conversation about the economics and the rigged system that is our economic and governmental system in the United States, we would solve everything. Because this really is at the heart of everything that we fight for. It really is. If we spend all our time talking about Roe v. Wade, we will get nowhere. But if we talk about this, that actually affects whether or not we can afford to live or afford a place to live because of what BlackRock has done, buying up everything. And they really have. If we're not going to talk about the fact that, and I know you don't agree with me, the worst billionaire by far is Bill Gates. He is buying up all of the land. You are not going to be able to develop anything. Oh, he's the single greatest landowner in the country. No, in in the world. world. And by the way, he started, you know, in Africa. Look up some of the stuff that Gates has done in Africa, because what he's really trying to do is own our food source. Correct. And he's in bed with Monsanto and the GMOs. And essentially what they did in Africa was they gotten people and communities dependent on their mass produced crap their GMO farms, their mass, whatever. And they've reduced people's ability to have local sustainable agriculture of their own. And this is to me, not unintentional. So and now, and he is this, yeah, he is the single greatest landowner in this country. He owns more acreage than anybody. And I do think that he's on his, I I don't disagree with you. I mean, he said that like, I somehow like Bill Gates. I find that's what I was about to say. No, wait, wait, why'd you say that? Pete? Busting. He he and Jeffrey Epstein and their little petter ring and whatever. And then you've that's got a whole other thing. Bezos and Musk and the penis wars. And these are very small men. They are. They are very, they are. very small men. That's why. That, and you know what? And that's why we've said time and again that if there is a billionaire that's out there that actually is worth respecting and not admiring, but respecting because he actually does do good, and that's Mark Cuban. He is the only one that I can truly think of who is not a self-centered bastard with everything that he does. I think Shark Tank- I need five minutes with him. Yeah, Jen needs five minutes with Mark Cuban. I need five minutes alone in a room with Mark Cuban. Anybody out there, make that happen. And you know what? 
You can say all you want about how Mark Cuban could be out there advocating for universal health care. Cost plus drugs has probably saved God knows how much money for so many people in need. And this is a guy who doesn't need to do this, but he chose he chose to do it. And that is beyond admirable. And guess what, Osiris? No one effing talks about it. No one. I, and you, me, yeah, right when you were saying it, I'm like, damn, I haven't even done a video on it. And I think it's great. I forgot about it for some reason. It's unbelievable what he's done with that. It really is. Yeah. And if and, and you know what? If enough people really start moving the needle and recognizing how absolutely horrific Big Pharma is, that's how we will get to universal health care. Because there isn't enough people that are fighting on that front, basically showing them, yeah, you know how this... Uh, insulin medication that you need is charging you several thousand dollars a month. Yeah, well, if you go to Cost Plus Drugs, you could get it for a couple of hundred dollars. You know, really making a difference here. Uh, something as simple as that in real time shows you, yeah, the system's corrupt. And here's a guy trying to change it. So with that said, I think that these kinds of conversations, you know, anytime we can do a cross stream. We'll We're going to try to figure it out. We'll figure I, it I'm going to I am going to make it my mission to figure out how we do that, because that's really the best way is to cross pollinate our audiences because that's what we try to do all the time. Yeah. That's how we reach the most people. And I think that that's definitely how we're going to do it going forward. So Osiris, the floor is yours. Yes. Whatever you like. Uh, we will definitely do this again in the near future. Well, thank you. Thank you. It was great. I uh, love the show. Great conversation. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm on YouTube. You can search uh, Stuck in the Middle, put in Critical. I've done videos on Critical Theory. Um, but uh, uh, anytime, we got to figure it out. It's, there's got to be a way to do the simulcast. I'm a little disappointed. I would have thought you would have had this. I'm the oldest person mm -hmm. here. So I and I've, I've been married to the same person for 30 years that handles all my tech. So I'm a tech dinosaur. You, I always find it strange that you're not much better than me. And I really had some high expectations for you because you've got the fancy looking studio and the, the headphones. I like the back. Like, I do like the background. No, man. he's got a whole thing going on there. Like very, very professional. <laughs> you, I, I really thought you would figure this out. I will by next time. I'm going to figure I, it I out. I will. Yeah, I will by next time. That's for sure. Okay, because I would love to do that with you. And, and honestly, we could include other people. And oh. I just, I think these conversations are very important and um, they're not had enough. Definitely so. not. And if you have any suggestions uh, for other content creators, you know, we we recently did uh, a, cross, uh, a cross stream with uh, three other content creators. Uh, Mike Figueredo, the Humanist Reporter, is a good friend, really does great stuff. The Cavernacle and, of course, Amy C3. Uh, very known gamers. So, you know, that was a great conversation. If you have anybody that you recommend and we'll also send you the information to get in touch with Marcel, Marcel. Dixon, uh, definitely, uh, you know, should connect with him. And yeah. I'll share any, like truthfully, we'll forward guests because we're all trying to promote. Like we're, we're, we're trying to get that out there. So it's not, we're never proprietary. If there's anybody I could forward, I'd be happy to do so. 100%. Yeah. I love how you interview so many people running for office. It's just great. Your, your channel is one of the best to just tune in and see who's running for office. What do they like when they're on a podcast or long form like this? That's when you really find out what somebody's about. Yeah, I appreciate that. And just so you know, we only will platform non-corporate candidates. I don't care what party they are. I don't even necessarily care about policy because we'll platform them doesn't mean I'm endorsing them. There are certain mm -hmm. people like Erica Smith that I've endorsed. Like there are certain people that we have endorsed, but I'll platform any non-corporate candidate. And I just think we're trying to balance it out, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Osiris, Stuck in the Middle podcast. Guys, check him out if you haven't already. Don't he, go too far libertarian that we lose you. No, okay? he's, 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 no, no. Never he's stuck Never in the middle. He's a splice between libertarianism and progressivism. That's where you want to be. Well, he's a live and let live. That That's I can get behind. About. But you're not necessarily a pull yourself up from your bootstraps. No, pull yourself up by your bootstraps as long as you've got help getting them pulled up. So as long see, as he's got- going too far, he's yeah. going too far. Yeah. I can yeah. see in his face <laughs> sitting there thinking it. And I'm going to tell yeah. you. You know, and who was it you who wanna, said you, you wanna, can't do it because you don't have boots? You want to be, you want you want to have, you want people to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. I would a hundred percent back that theory if we had universal health care and a living wage. If we had those two things, yeah, I would be behind that a hundred percent. I've jumped on universal basic income. So a lot of people call me a socialist too. So I'm all over the place. There you go. Okay, we'll have you on with Steve Grumbine and he'll explain to you. Oh, have a little fun with that conversation. Yeah. Do you know Steve? <laughs> No, no. Okay, check out Steve Grumbine, and he's an amazingly good person to have on and talk about economic stuff. He's in, he's a modern monetary theory expert. He's very smart. He has his own shows, but um, yeah, he get into a good discussion with you about the flaws with UBI versus a jobs guarantee. 100%. Um, so, and we, and we actually did a panel where we had on a UBI proponent and a jobs guarantee proponent, and we sort of, I don't call it a debate, but I will say it was a healthy discussion. And credit, and credit, <laughs> and credit to Scott Santons, who actually Santons. wrote, who wrote an article basically talking about how you can actually have universal basic income and a jobs guarantee. Credit to him for, you know, writing that out, yeah. because the truth is, guys, we have the power, we just don't know it yet, yeah. and that's why we have to have these conversations. Osiris, thank you so thank much. Thank you so much. And we'll definitely Thanks. be in touch. Bye. Take care, everyone. You too. Bye-bye. An He's excellent, lovely. excellent conversation. So last thing before we go, guys, by the way, Wednesday, very important. We are doing What's a happening? crossover okay. podcast. I can't, we're not going to claim that until we can legitimately technically do it. Yes, that's true. Okay. So we're we got, having on the surfs. And that's surfs with an E. I had yeah. to figure that out. And there's two different surf channels. There's one that's called the surfs, but it looks like that might have been their old channel. And now there's one called like surf times or something that looks like it might be their new one. And you need to find out which is which because they're different logos. Who is, um, uh, oh God. Uh, what who is wanted the, me to explain something? Uh, no. Uh, Jen, who is the black gentleman who said, I'm not your Negro? Who's the, who, that, James Baldwin. James Baldwin. James Baldwin. It, Osiris reminds me of him a little bit. Because he has like this. Okay, James Baldwin. A Don't bad, even get me started. A, bad, a badass of the badass. Badass of the badasses. But and if you ever want to see a great conversation, guys, it's from like 1960. Uh, check out James Baldwin against um, uh, uh, William F. Buckley. But that wasn't when that wasn't when he was on like with Dick Cavett. Because I've seen no. interviews with him like after he had moved to France. Uh, James Baldwin is amazing and yes. was brilliant, but he actually recognized and saw the writing on the wall in this country and thought, yeah, this is way more regressive. Not that other places were so great for black people, but our country was so particularly like bad that he left and went to France and was able to live a much freer life there. And I don't like the, the, the term Negro, but that's what he said. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think that that is great, but it's, it's interesting. And I still haven't heard back from Mario if that's who you were talking about because he says he misses the white guy over my shoulder and the only I white guy that. that I know in here is him <laughs> but yeah well, it could be uh it could be um uh Chris Rich's no that was never on the wall over my shoulder the only person over my shoulder was Thurgood Marshall 
guys, if you like our content, if you enjoy anyone who's new here, patreon.com forward slash generational change. The money that comes to this podcast does not go into our pockets. We're going to have to do like a, a yes. radio host sort oh, of well, competition a, between you and him because he gets a great, he gets into his great like okay. radio voice. So, uh, yeah, guys, support our channel. Yeah. So it's very important. Um, you know, that you know that what we do is mutual aid. We support non-corporate candidates, uh, mutual aid consisting of uh, we do homeless care packages. Do you want me to tell you what we just recently donated? We yes. recently donated $250 to what is BWEF, which is Broward Women's Emergency Fund. That's our local organization. All the money goes to helping women be able to afford and have reproductive freedom, including abortion care. And that's our local. I would encourage everybody right now, especially put your money where your mouth is. Protesting is great. But if you have the resources to, to donate, because like I said before, even when we don't lose the right to choose for poor women, marginalized women, black women, um, that right is still hard to come by, afford and access. So these organizations like BWEF, which I think I did a banner for it. Did I do a banner uh, for it? I might not have done maybe a banner. Maybe not, we could put it up again. Okay, uh, um, it was in the thing. But anyway, it's bwef.org. And if you go there, there's a way for you to donate. And I can assure you that organization is there. I don't even know that there's anybody that's paid there. If there is, it's minimal. But all of their B -W -E -F? resources. B-W-E-F? Are you mm -hmm. sure that's what? It is. B-W-E-F.org. Yeah. Here. Oh, I thought that that's. Because I think that when you click to donate, it takes you somewhere no, else. No, you're right. And it looks like you're right. Okay. I don't know. For some reason, I thought it was something else. I got to have been wrong about it. No, you are right. Yeah. Okay. See, so, okay. Okay. Broward emergency um, women. Okay, but see here, BWE fund. I knew B, that I'm sorry, BWEfund.org. Go there if you have any interest, and and also if you guys have something similar in your local community. That's um, the right one, guys. Yeah, B BWEF which is bwefund.org. And uh, it's just, it's important. I think it's important. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of people, especially older people, when things like this happen, they go out and donate to Planned Parenthood and other really big, massive organizations. And I'm not saying that's not good, um, but I just always think local is better and you know exactly where your money is going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Peter won Gen Zero, whatever. One last thing we want to mention. Who else is coming go. on Wednesday? I uh, don't know yet. Um, we'll I'm trying to get Jessica else. Cisneros. Yeah, guys. That's who I'd really like to Jessica get. Cisneros really sh would like to get her on and just talk about what's going on. Um, but of course, uh, she's uh, she hasn't been very receptive since we started doing this. So it is what it is. But last thing we want to mention um, <laughs> That's cute. Uh, last thing I want to mention before we go is um, we never reveal names and we never reveal details because we need to protect everybody that we communicate with off the record. But let me assure you that we uh, learned a, a story tonight that is so classic Debbie Wasserman Schultz, Debbie in, every Wasserman Schultz. in every sense of the word. Are you going to give context to where we were? Because really he think, often jumps in. No, because I don't think it's necessary. Because you know, again, we have to protect. Oh, we're not giving names, know. but we yeah. were at we were at a, a launch party for our sitting congresswoman. That well, not ours, but locally, Sheila Sherfulis McCormick. Sherfulis. Sheila Sherfulis McCormick. Let's just say that when they say that Debbie says, "I'm Debbie Wasserman Schultz," and I always get what I want. 
that is exactly how she conducts herself. And this is, she is. She actually did say that to someone that we know. Yeah. Yeah. Our, she actually said those words. I'm Debbie Wasserman Schultz. I always get what I want. Yeah. There's no question <laughs> that Debbie is a, sort of a dying breed in many ways. And is, we mean that figuratively, not literally. Figuratively. Yeah. I'm not going to do anything to her. Right. I, mean, I just, I have to well, because, you know, they would, you know, Debbie would say that I just committed. Right. I, right. I committed violence, violence. against She's her. She's making death so, threats. Yeah. No, figuratively a dying breed. I will say this, and this is all I can reveal. Um, oh, yeah. Correct. Karen Wasserman Schultz and Becky Wasserman Schultz are two perfect names uh, to describe Debbie. I hate ripping on her because we're really so much better than that. And we really bring so much more than we, we don't need to do that. It really writes itself. But we did hear a story tonight. And I, I don't know how much you want to tell about it, not just who said it, but that really hits home how our sitting representatives really feel not just entitled to their seats, but they actually feel that they're entitled to decide who gets them after they leave. Like no, they really do. They, they do feel that not, They do not believe in the democratic process. No. They don't. And that they is don't. why, you know, if Jen were to run again, it you're talking about an uphill battle that, as crazy as it sounds, will be even more difficult because when Debbie gets backed into a corner, you can see where she can get vicious like yeah. a snake. And that is something to be expected because right now she is losing a part of her fiefdom in this part of the country. Yeah, And that is something where you can already tell her reactions are one of – um, I have to do what I have to do to oh, stay she's, she's closing ranks. She's definitely, yeah. she, well, look, I mean, again, I don't like, I don't like to talk trash about her. I think her actions speak for themselves. They do. Um, and I don't need to say that about her, but there was a reaction that she had um, toward a new sitting congressperson that was along the lines of how dare you have challenged my former colleague while he was still alive. How did, like that, how, how could you have challenged him? Meanwhile, I would like to point out that said congressman who is now deceased went about two different congressional sessions being sick. And while he was sick, Debbie Wasserman Schultz was voting for him. So she went a couple of congressional sessions basically having two votes. So now there's someone actually in that seat who she can't push around and she's not liking that. Yeah. The bully is not allowed to get away with that. Uh, well, yeah, Alcy, Alcy, while he was sick, there was a lot of time that he was absent. And apparently, according to inside information. No, we know about. No, we, we know. People, people know. About yeah, this. she she pushed his button. Literally, there's a button that they push for voting. And she would turn around and do his when she did hers. And so she was having two votes. Could for, you like, imagine? Two congressional sessions. That is. It's so beyond. And and yet he was running again. Yeah. He, well, he was running again. You almost have to wonder, uh, was she putting him up to running again? You almost have to wonder, like, what kind of relationship they had. Because, again, guys would wonder, Alcee Hastings, somebody who a lot of people consider a, a civil rights era hero and all this stuff. Well, they think that about Jim Lewis, too. Debbie is, Debbie runs the Florida Democratic Party. She does. Here. Period. Yeah. No, she runs the state party. The state party. And... Did you see the email yeah. I sent you as to who yes, the I saw it again. I saw our esteemed Republican leader of our Florida Democratic Party. Should be called that, honestly. Well, that's what I'm calling him. Yeah. He's the Republican leader of our Florida Democratic Party, and he is the speaker at one of the local Dem Club events. And I have no interest. And I'm and, and I honestly 
she probably will be there to introduce him. Maybe, maybe. She's the reason he's there. There's so much well, that, that can be accomplished. Lindbergh. Yeah, there's so much that could be accomplished away from that. So that's what we have to keep focused on. So with that said, and what are we talking about with the serfs? Because uh, I don't what, really know like what they're probably the state of everything that's going on right that's now. That's a lot and, of stuff, know, man. Yeah, there is. Well, listen, it'll be a good conversation. Uh, they do, um, you know, they do a lot of. Uh, content stuff, I think, like Bosch does. So it'll be interesting. Uh, they're definitely on the very progressive side of things. Right. I saw that they were definitely like left. They're not coming yeah. on here to ambush us. I have to check these things now. Yes. Well, well, again, even though it happened almost a year ago, <laughs> I, but there are people who still like to bring that up. I love it. Which is amazing. Please keep doing so. But keep bringing up Jen in the context of Noam Chomsky. I love it. Well, That's and who great. else was on the one you said most recently that I was like, oh my God, they're putting me You're in the like, same. No. And then of course you have the K-Hive people that are putting you in the same context as Nina. I love Susan Saran. Oh, it's like that's, wow. And, and I know. I'm so flattered. Did they realize that I don't even have eight thousand subs on this channel? Like, you know, I mean, and but I. You know what? You're, you're, like you said, we may be small, but we're mighty. We're mighty, and yeah. we have. We, you know, why though? Because I know why those people like us, people like Nina, people why Susan Sarandon follows us, why people like that, because we demonstrate integrity in what we do. Absolutely. And Chris, and we, definitely, we definitely like Ron Placone's idea, friend of the show. Uh, if you are going to run for office, it should be a consensus basically from the community. But that's not how I ran works. because he asked me to. Yeah. And I, I had no help. desire to do that. Like that was not something I wanted to be when I grow up. I yeah. don't want to be a congressperson. It shouldn't be a career. It's not meant to be a career. It's meant to be a term of service. Um, oh, and I wanted to talk about Sheila's bus camper for a second. I thought that was great. Oh, it was great. So Sheila, Sherfless McCormick, um, one of, right. I say, I always say it right. Mm -hmm. she, one of the initiatives that she's doing, which is something we had talked about doing on our campaign, but obviously could not afford, but she bought their campaign, their, their office, her seat, Chris, we are absolutely willing to go on Twitch. The problem is, is Jen, Jen refuses to play. It's not that I refuse. I, I, I'm so not nimble. But listen, guys, Sheila bought a Class A RV. It's like a bus. And it is completely wrapped with their, you know, their it's signage. And, everything. Campaign and it, office. it's not a campaign office. That's her congressional office. Wow. That's what they're saying. So what she's been doing, this is amazing because I her district it. is so spread out. I can't believe you were paying attention. No, to that. I didn't realize that it was a campaign. It's her, it's her congressional office. So what she's doing is they're actually going to be getting rid of the office, the brick and mortar that they have. And what they're doing is they're spending days at different portions and giving their constituents, they tell them a week ahead of time, they tell them the day before, and then oh, we are going to be holding our hours in your district. And now people are actually coming to meet with their representative. And this was pre-campaign. This is not her, I mean, yeah, she'll use it for campaigning because it's her bus, but this is for her constituents to have a mobile office. What people don't realize with these gerrymandered districts, her district from where she represents Belle Glade all the way down to Sunrise, those people can't drive all the way down there to go talk to their representative. And so like, this is the this is what I envisioned when we were talking about our campaign having a mobile office, but I think the idea of having a mobile congressional office is brilliant. Badass. And that is something that uh, a lot of people can learn from. One of the reasons why Sheila has been able to do what she's been able to do is because she is independently wealthy. She has been able to do this with her own resources, there is that. which overwhelmingly people don't have. So 
But I would also like to say she's also exceptionally bright. She oh, she looks like at she's, a she's a congressperson. And yeah. and I don't say that in a sense of that it should be her career, just that she's very suited for that. When role. you are in a position of that power, and listen, we have our we had a lot of disagreements with Ro Khanna, but the one thing that Ro did say when he was on our show was very simple that you are one of the 535 most privileged people on this planet. Yeah. And to be in that position, to take it for granted in any capacity whatsoever, <coughs> Debbie, uh, is unbelievable. Very entitled to that. Unbelievable. Uh, the, dip, the stark contrast between two representatives that share d- district lines in terms of the way one conducts themselves versus the way the other conducts themselves Wait, is really we have, night and day. We have a picture. Well, we're going to post a picture. He took a picture of me in front of Sheila's bus. It's really gonna cool. going to put it on social it's media like a, It's like a congressional service mobile. Yeah, it's That's great. basically what it is. So, And yes, it has a big, lovely picture of Sheila on it. And yes, that will get visibility. And a mobile office is a billboard. And it's a smart campaign move and all of blah, 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 blah. But the fact is she's bringing the congressional services to her constituents in all the different places. And that's what we need. Yeah. So, 100%. you know, and if she gets votes for it, good for her. Yep. <laughs> like, you 535 know. out of 8 billion on the planet. Damn yes. Right. Oh, damn right. So with that said, we appreciate you guys. It was a great conversation. Peter ate fried chicken tonight. I you, did you have to? I did. Just like uh, you had to tell him I went into a Walmart. Yeah, well, I, I feel I feel terrible right now. You should. It was the only food that was there. I would never buy it. I, I ate the spring rolls. I, I blue, exactly. Mario Kart. That is what I have emphasized. A racing game. I would Why do I have to play video games to go on a pl- is it only video games on that platform? Well, because if you play video games, that's when people will tune in. I don't understand it. how people find that yeah, interesting. I, I don't either, but it works. Isn't there anything else I could do? I could craft, I could work on different things. Like right now I'm working on book boxes that I'm creating for my Wicked Gypsy store. So like I could do things that are interesting that but why video games? That's what people like. I don't know what else to tell you. I'm so not nimble. Uh, That said, we appreciate you guys. We'll see you Wednesday with the surfs. Have a great night. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.